0: Well, it's lovely to be here with you guys uh, this afternoon, and it's a pleasure for me to share from the Word. Uh, We're continuing our little mini series, our little break uh, from the book of Acts, and we've been looking at Psalms, and we'll talk about that in a bit. But before we get there, I want to just set the tone for us for a moment and keep your, your finger or your, your spot there in, in Psalm 24 but turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6 1 through 5 In the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple Above him stood the seraphim For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And then turn with me to Revelation chapter 1. And we're going to read verse 14. Oops, sorry. Go back there. Verse 14 through 17. The hairs of his head, that is Jesus, were white like wool, as white as snow. And behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Let's pray. Father God, I pray that as we come to this psalm this afternoon, that we would see your glory. That we would see you high and lifted up, that we would see our state before you, and we would see you as glorious, the King of glory. So this Psalm, Psalm 24, we could take it in a few different directions and I struggled a little bit about how we might do this. But I think we've come to a good place because what I want us to see by the end of this is God's glory on display and how we relate to this glorious God and also how we anticipate his return. So we've been tracking through these shepherd psalms looking at the cross the crook and then today the crown so dave took us to, through psalm 22 and psalm 23 in psalm 22 we looked from that psalm forward to the cross and then the cross back to the psalm and dave concluded by showing that the psalm of the cross paints a portrait of jesus our good shepherd In Psalm 23, other than getting an image of Dave chasing a sheep in his boxes, uh, we looked at what this good shepherd provides. He provides restoration, consolation, and satisfaction. And these are things that are all promised to those who say, the Lord is my shepherd. So this week, as we come to the crown part of this psalms, where we see the king of glory, this shepherd king, I hope as we read through these passages, you know, as we heard from Isaiah and we heard from John in Revelation, he saw the glory of God and man's state before him. And we're going to look at Psalm 24 by looking at three things. Verse 1 and 2, whose authority? Verses 3 and 6, who shall ascend? And 7 through 10, who is the king? I'm just going to move this before I trip or something. But let's set a little bit of, of context for us, and just consider a couple things. Most commentators connect this psalm with David's bringing of the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem in 2 Samuel 6 and 1 Chronicles 15 and 16. It's not clear for certain that that's what David had in his mind, but most agree that would be the case. And this psalm is also a psalm called an antiphonal psalm, so a psalm that would be sung, right? And the people would open up with verses 1 and 2. A leader would ask the question in verse 3, 8a, and 10a, and the chorus or the people would answer in verses 4, 6, 8b, and 10b, and they would sing this in Herod's temple. It's a great way and such a a glorious psalm to to sing along uh, as well. So, as we kick off this this psalm, I want to put uh, a comparison before you. This magnificent structure here, the Great Wall of China, it spans 21,168 kilometres, average of 6.7 metres high, and about 14 metres at its highest point. The walls average 6.5 metres in width, And this structure is a couple thousand years old. The purpose was to act as a a barrier to defend northern China from enemy attacks. And it served as this military defense with watchtowers and army fortresses, command posts, beacon towers for communication along the wall. It also helped to develop a trade route for China as well. And the wall uh, was, you know, it's the longest man-made structure ever designed or built. But let's just zoom out just a little bit to this, the Earth. The Earth's diameter, roughly 13,000 kilometres. All water on, in and above the Earth would amount to roughly 1.4 billion cubic kilometres. There are an estimated 3.04 trillion trees on this planet, just trees. There are around 8.7 million species, let alone all the um, little bits that come off those. And our population is currently, what, around 8.1-ish billion, give or take. Now let's read verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell therein for he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers what i didn't say about the building of the great wall of china is that it spanned over 9 different dynasties many generations many leaders worked on this wall to protect what they had and increase what they could gain blood sweat tears went into the building of it but david he opens this psalm right and we reflected on the size of just the earth that we live on. David opens this psalm by saying the earth, the whole earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's a big claim. Not just a little part of it, not just this bit of dirt, not just Israel, not just Jerusalem. All of it is the Lord's. The whole earth and the fullness therein and those who dwell therein. All of it, every last bit belongs to Yahweh, the Lord. Again, a big claim. What gives God this authority? And I'd be willing to put my money on it that you've heard someone just outright deny that God created the earth or belittle it or ridicule it or just explain it away. And I had a a similar situation. I used to work with this uh, lady in uh, hospitality. And when I was in the kitchen, and one day we were there, I was prepping something in the kitchen, and she was there doing some, some dishes, and we were having this conversation about God and about creation, and she was studying at the time anthropology at university, um, and she was very atheistic, um, you know, she grew up with two mums at home, all that sort of stuff, and she we were talking about it, and she's, Daniel, there's no way that there could be a a creator of this world. It all just came about. We don't really know how it started, but there's lots of good science, blah, blah, blah. I said, yeah, that's good. But I put a bread roll on the bench, and I said, what do you think the likelihood is of this bread roll just appearing on the bench right here? With no interaction at all, that bread roll just appears on the bench. Hmm. It's an interesting point said, well, this earth, all its complexities, there has to be a designer, there has to be a creator behind it. This bread roll didn't just appear on the bench, for one, I put it there, for two, someone made that bread roll, and there's so much other stuff that went into getting that here. There had to be a process, and it had to be guided. But it's common, right? for people to deny God, why? Because they do not want to acknowledge his or anyone's authority over them and over their lives. It might be one thing to admit, right, finally, that, yeah, okay, God created the trees and the land and that bit of ocean or whatever, but, you know, God didn't create me. No, what does David say here? Those who dwell within. This is the part that gets them. I don't want God to have authority over me. Or what about this quote from, I don't know if that's working. Back one, there we go. From uh, Morgan Freeman. The highest power is the human mind. That's where God came from. And my belief in God is belief in God myself. We live in a society of me, 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 I, 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 right? That's our culture. Whether we want to say it out loud or admit it out loud, we want to say that the world is mine and it revolves around me and the things that I want and the things that please me. That's how we often think. That's mine, give it to me. If you're a parent, you've heard that a lot. If you have been a kid, which all of you have, you've probably said it. It's my body, it's my choice. It's my sexual preference, I'll do what I want. It's my right, I'll have it, I'll take it. Me, 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 mine, mine, mine. But David brings us around, the earth is the Lord's. And all that dwell within. That's the bit that's hard for people to swallow. But what gives God this authority? For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. David's reflecting on the very first story in the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.9, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear. And it was so. You can debate all day long about it. You can debate whether God created the world, how he created it, all the details of it. But at the end of the day, And the start of the day. God created it. The world and every single thing in it is owned by the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's Yahweh, God. By uttering these words, David is submitting himself to God's authority. And again, coming back to John in Revelation and Isaiah's words, when they realized, right, God for who he really is, they fell down in worship of him and fear? Their response? Friends, the Lord is the Creator, and if He created everything, even the air that we breathe, do we acknowledge this in our day-to-day lives? Have we truly submitted to God? Or are we living in denial, like my friend at work? Yeah, the evidence might point towards a Creator. I don't really want that. Or is it more like Morgan Freeman? It's just about belief in yourself. Just believe in yourself. Romans 14, 11 through 12 says, For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. And you don't have to be anti God to not really be submitting to him. I think even Christians sometimes sing along with good old Frank Sinatra and say, for what is man, what has he got? It's not himself, then he is not. Not to say the things that he truly feels and not the words of someone who kneels. Let the record show that I took all the blows and I did it my way. We can rebel. And we try to all the time, even as Christians. We try to do it our way constantly. We're about to see in the psalm that we can't do it our way as well. But let that not be our attitude. Let that rebellious attitude not be found in us. So who shall ascend? David sees that, okay, God, you are so powerful. I know that you created me and I want to submit to your authority But what does that lead David to ask? It leads him to say, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? What's David saying here? The holy place for David and ascending the hill is about being in God's presence. If you read Psalm 63, David writes, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. This knowledge of God gives David a desire to be in God's presence. David has to ask, who can ascend the hill? Who can stand in the holy place? You can probably think, if you know your Bible, of a couple of things that might be going through David's mind. David would have known, right, all the purity laws, all the requirements of what it would be to stand in God's presence. And he lists some of these requirements for us, right? Clean hands, that's our deeds. Pure heart, that's thoughts and intentions. Don't lift up your soul to what is false. Idol worship, putting something first above God. Don't swear deceitfully. Live an honest life. I can tell you I'm done at number one. Clean hands. Over the Christmas break, um, we got a a little gas-powered pizza oven for for Christmas. I wanted to build a a stand for it so I didn't have to sit on the ground and, and use it. And Dad had just finished doing the stairs out the back of our house. Thanks, Dad, they look great. Um, and there was some scrap wood under the house and there was some really old wood from other stuff. And so I decided to build a, a bit of a stand for it. And uh, rustic would probably be a generous word for it. But anyway, I managed to, to finish this thing and it works and it hasn't fallen over, so it's great. Um, but when I finished, I looked at my hands and they were really stained from the wood. And so, natural conclusion, all right, go in, wash my hands. Didn't work, they were still pretty much like that, but with stain instead of dirt. I so, okay, so I went and had a shower, used one of those loofah things and everything, still didn't come off, right? My hands are still stained. That's just life, I'm gonna to go to bed with stained hands. Next day, we go to the beach, go for a nice swim, play in the sand with the boys, go for another swim, blah, 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 blah. end of the day, my hands, they're clean, right? See, I needed something outside of myself, something outside of my ways, my methods to make my hands clean. Something else was required. Thank you, sand. Thank you, Peach. But David's laid out this standard for us, right? For himself and for the reader. And it just seems so unattainable. Like when I finish washing my hands in the sink. Oh, they're never going to be clean. I'm just going to have this colored hands for the rest of my life. But David writes this incredible thing, right? Verse 5. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. David, we get it. God is your all-powerful, wonderful ruler. Mine too. You want to be in His presence. You want to ascend the hill. You want to stand in the holy place. Yeah, me too, David. You have to have all these things right. Clean hands, pure heart. That's pretty much everything. And I don't meet those standards. That requirement, David, that's perfection. You're covering everything. And you could, like Isaiah and John, be like, woe is me. I am undone. I am unpure. Where were you, David? Your hands aren't clean. Your hands aren't pure. Your sins are written in the Bible. Mine aren't, but yours are. And God knows my heart. My hands aren't pure. My hands aren't clean. What about Psalm fifty-one, one through two, and then verses seven through ten? Have mercy on me, O God, David writes, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Purge me with hyssop, seven, and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David's looking outside of himself for cleansing. He knows that he can't provide the pure heart, he knows that he can't provide the clean hands. What about Hebrews 10 11 through 14? The same way I couldn't scrub and wash my hands clean in the sink, you and I cannot wash the impurity from our own hands and our own hearts. You and I on our own cannot ascend to the holy place and stand in the holy place. But Jesus can. God himself can. And he took our dirty hands and impure heart and he traded them for what did we read in verse 5? Blessing for righteousness, for right standing. And because of that, we can say with David, God is the God of my salvation. We can in Him and through Him in enter into God's presence with boldness, Ephesians 3. God is good. God has provided those pure hands and that clean heart. Isaiah 1 18 says, Come now, let us reason together. Says the Lord, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. And it doesn't end there, right? What is David set up for us next? Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of Of the God of Jacob. This section here, it ends by moving from the requirements of the individual to focusing on a generation or a group. It brings the picture out. And David refers to the God of Jacob, meaning those who are in covenant relationship with God. And if you weren't here for for Dave's sermon on on Psalm 22, go back and, and listen to it for a bit more in depth. But if you remember, He brought our attention to this binding covenant that was made by God and is reliant on God. God did the work. If we saw that David looked outside himself, right, for pure hands and a pure heart, and we saw that, you know, we have to do that also. We can't provide that. And that the only one with clean hands and a pure heart is God himself in Jesus, then he must be the one that brings around this generation that seeks God. I like what Hamilton writes here. Psalm 24, it seems to indicate that the surpassing righteousness of the man who is worthy will, be a, will bring about a righteous generation who is like him. David knows that his own righteousness is only relative, so when he speaks of this man, Who has innocent hands and a pure heart, he seems to describe someone who has risen above the sinful status of humanity. Folks, that's not you and I, but that's Christ, and our identity as believers is in him. So, the question for us, for our family, for our co workers, is what? Are you a part of this generation that seeks the Lord? Is that you? Matthew 7, 7 through 8, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. For the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Have you sought God for yourself, truly? No one can can seek God for you. If you have, are you passionate about seeking God and seeing others also seek Him? Last week, David encouraged us, right, to be still and hear from God, to rest in His presence. How did you go with that? How did I go with that, to be honest? Not the best this week. The seeking of the Lord doesn't stop once you're a believer. It continues for us every day. Because our desire should be to know the Lord more and more each day. I married Alicia 13 years ago. But if I stopped desiring to better our relationship, to build our relationship, it wouldn't be a healthy one. It wouldn't be a one that works. You need to seek the Lord. Verses 1 through 2 showed us that Yahweh, God, the Creator owns all the earth and everything it contains. Verse 3 through 6 showed us that the true and perfect cleanliness and purity, the kind that allows us to enter into the presence of God, cannot be found in and of ourselves, but it is found in one man. And when we seek that man, Jesus, he will make perfect and clean, not only us, but many a generation allowing us to be in the presence of God. And these last verses are verses of praise, verses that announce the King, the King of glory. I want to first read 2 Samuel six twelve through 15, because this is potentially what David has in mind, right? Now, King David was told, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom, Remember, the Ark of the Covenant went there first. And everything he has because of the Ark of God. So David went to bring up the Ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And when those who were carrying the Ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Our first two sections, right? Acknowledge God as the almighty authority. Enter into the presence of God. But these two verses, they're about God coming to us. Lift up your heads, O gates. And be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. The gates are personified here, too, and it really creates this powerful, exciting, and somewhat urgent image for us. Imagine with me an ancient walled city. Don't know if that's so ancient, but looks it in someone's imagination, right? This ancient walled city. Your king, your ruler has been out and he has been conquering to make your city and your space safe. And as you stand as a guard on the wall of this city, you see the king approaching and he's got a whole host of people with him. And you cry out, open the gates, swing open the doors. The king is coming. And you hear someone ask, who is that king? Who is the king that is coming? Don't you know he's strong and mighty? Don't you know he is strong in battle for our sake? Tell us more of this king of glory. He is the Lord of hosts. He actually commands all. He is the king of glory. You can almost feel the excitement, right, of people welcoming their king, who they know to be good. These gates, they don't just open for for anyone. The gates of the city are shut. They're sealed shut and only open for this king of glory. That soldier up on the wall, he might not know the host that approaches with the king, but he knows the king. And as such, that host is made worthy to enter the city because of the king. As a matter of fact, that soldier's only in that city because of the goodness of the king. Before the rejoicing in 2 Samuel six twelve, David had tried to bring the ark to the city on his own terms. And that ended in the death of Uzzah. And for us in, in this psalm today, if we think back to, to Genesis 3, Adam and Eve had sinned. They had been cast out of the garden. They had lost that close personal presence of the ruler of the earth and all therein. Their sin... Their unclean hands, their impure heart had separated them from God. But the good news, remember, is that there is one that gives us blessing and righteousness so that we may be in the presence of the Lord once more. He is the seed of the woman that was promised in Genesis 3. Those doors, right, they've been closed. They've been locked for those who do not meet the standard of the one who can enter in the presence of God. But these doors open for the only one that's worthy, God himself, the king of glory, the king who has won the battle for us over sin and death. The king who enters at the head of his army, at the head of the hosts, and thus is titled the Lord of hosts. This commentator writes, What words can we use to rejoice and exult over the fact that the hands of Jesus are innocent, that his heart is indeed pure? How do we begin to render the praise due to the one who had the right to enter the very presence of the Father, ascending Mount Zion, entering the holy place, there, not just to stand, but to even sit. And oh, the mercy and the goodness and the power, the achievement, the accomplishment to bear our sins, be crushed for our iniquities, to see his seed, to make many be accounted righteous, to make it so that the generation that seeks God, the seed of the woman, are not only justified, but transformed from one degree of glory to another, not just the same image. One day the king of glory, Yahweh of hosts, the divine warrior, will come at last. The gates will hear the command to lift up their heads. The ancient doors will open, and the good shepherd will see his people safely to pasture. Who is the king of glory to us? Do we know the king, the creator, the ruler of all things? Are you part of that generation that seeks the lord do you know the one who has given blessing and his righteousness not just know of him but know him do you know the one who has washed you clean if so do you continue to seek him daily desiring his presence like david the good shepherd The shepherd king has conquered sin and death on the cross, leads us, guides us, and protects with the staff and the crook, and will return showing himself as the king of glory. Let's read Revelation 22, 12 through 17. Behold, I am coming soon bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside of the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexual immoral and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves to practice falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root of the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let those who hear say, come. And let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them. God will add to him plagues described in this book. But, friends, Jesus is coming one day. And there's two responses to that. There's joyful expectation to the return of Christ. He came as the suffering servant, and he will return again as the conquering king. Do we have joyful expectation? Or just dread and fear? Do those around us know this king of glory? Have we told them about this king of glory? To conclude, let's say this together. I'll read the first bit, and then we'll repeat after. So Calvary Chapel, Newcastle, who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Calvary Chapel, who is the King of Glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of Glory. Friends, that is who we serve. The glorious King who has washed us, who has cleansed us and made us right. We can stand in His presence. We can come before Him because of the work of Christ. Amen? All right, let's pray. Lord God, You are so good to us. Lord, you are mighty and powerful. Yet we can come into your presence. Lord, not by our own work, but by the work of Christ. Thank you that we have been made pure. We have been made right. Been washed by the blood of the Lamb. God, we anticipate the return of Jesus. Lord, though we be eager for him to come back, God, we also know that there are many who have not yet willingly bowed the knee. God, as we are in your presence, Lord, as we spend time with you, God, build in us that urgent desire for others to know you. Help me, help us as a church, Lord, to be about your business of sharing who you are telling people of the King of glory that loves them so much that He provided a way for them to be right with you. God, you're good in every way. Perfect. Thank you that you love us and you care for us. Amen. Thanks for listening to the teaching podcast of Calvary Chapel, Newcastle. If you'd like to check out more of our teachings, please visit ccn.org.au forward slash teachings.